it's good to be here. It's good to be together. And I have uh, a word on my heart that has been pressing. I think it's, a, it's an important word. And I hope you're ready. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Great. Great. I'm going to pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that we get together together like this. We thank you that you're here among us. We thank you that you're wanting to speak. God, I thank you that you see every heart here. You see every, every life, Lord, intimately. You created every single person here with a purpose, with an incredible life in front of them, Lord. And I ask that tonight that you would speak. We open up our, our ears, our eyes, our hearts, our spirits to what you have to say today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says this. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We've been uh, in a series called Flow. Um, this is all about how do we live a life that allows God's purposes, His Spirit, His love, the life that He intended us to live, how do we live that life? What are the practices of a pure heart that would allow that? And uh, it's been a pretty... Um, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, it's been a pretty hard-hitting start to the year. We had Hayden uh, Reed. He opened up with a message on um, the first one of the year on offence, not holding offence, and forgiveness, forgiving others, and how that allows God's Spirit to flow through us, living in offence-free 2023. And then last week, Renee, she upped the ante just a little bit, and she talked about suffering, <laughs> just to kind of keep it nice and light. And today, uh, I'm just going to continue on the trend. I feel like the word that God's put on my heart, um, it's one, I don't really want to do it, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm just going to be obedient with it. Uh, it's one that is an incredibly important conversation. It's one that's having an effect on uh, not just individuals or on relationships or families, but uh, it's having an effect on the world. And so tonight, I'm going to be talking about pornography. Woo! <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in 1953, uh, Hugh Hefner, he published the first copy of Playboy magazine. And pornographic images became increasingly available to the public. Uh, flash forward to the 1980s, and we have the, most of you probably won't know what this is, a, a VCR, VHS. Um, it's a video, it's like a big clunky thing that you like put in a machine, like a... <laughs> um, and uh, with the invention of the VCR, you now had uh, movies 
that were available to go and purchase from a video store in a back room where you had to have ID to prove that you were over um, 18, that you're an adult. And all of a sudden we now have it possible for people to watch pornographic material at home. And then uh, fast forward to the 90s and we have the internet. We have the internet. And the porn, porn hit uh, the, the web in the 1990s and for the first time in history, uh, people could watch anything they wanted whenever they wanted from the comfort of their own home. Uh, a decade later, smartphones came along. Smartphones, these bad boys. Uh, currently, there are 6.8 billion smartphone users in the world, which is 86.4% of the world's population. We now have porn available, accessible, free, and more anonymous than ever before in history. Porn sites, they receive more website traffic in the US than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. One of the leading porn sites in the world in 2019 claimed that they had 42 billion visits, and of those visits, 39 billion searches performed on their website. That is 115 million visits a day, about 5 million an hour. 100, sorry, 1.36 million hours of new video content and was added in 2019, which is equivalent to 169 years of content. This is just one of the main pornographic websites. It's, uh, it's staggering how available it is, how normalized it has become for, um, for like me growing up in the church this has been a really taboo subject, something that um, like my generation and my parents' generation like didn't talk about, something that they stayed away from. Uh, it was something that was very much like, we just don't talk about that, that's bad, that's yuck, we, we just won't go there. Um, a recent study in US teenagers said that 84.4% of 14 to 18 year old males and 15% of 14 to 18 year old females had viewed pornography. The scarier thing I think is the nature of the content that is now available. It's becoming more graphic, more extreme. It is uh, emerging now as we've had some years uh, it's emerging through science, through um, social uh, observations, through a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me. Um, the stuff that is emerging about the effects that this is having on, like I said, the individuals, on relationships, and your ability to have 
a healthy relationship and the effect that that's also having on the world, it's, it's staggering. It's scary. It's something that is, uh, I think, wrapped up in some pretty serious darkness. Uh, the porn industry is worth an estimated $97 billion globally. It's something that is feeding sex trafficking, and sex trafficking is then feeding the porn industry, and the cycle goes around and around and around, and this is about sex trafficking, about the exploitation of, uh, of women, of men, particularly of women, underage, non-consensual, uh, and there is no way when you click on a website and you click on a video or you click on an image, there is zero way of knowing whether that has been someone that has chosen to do that. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stories coming out how that is not the case. When we click on an image, when we click on a video, we are feeding the dark, sinister monster that is porn. When I was uh, about 12 or 13, we got the internet. It was dial-up, it was slow, it made weird noises when you turned it on. Um, and I remember Hearing at school, like, oh, this, you know, like, there's, there's these, these um, images that you can look up, like, you look up, you know, you can go and, go and watch stuff. And um, I'd never seen, like, I'd never looked at magazines or anything like that. Um, and I remember one day I typed in, I searched for something that was uh, completely unrelated and I clicked on it and a little ad popped up which was completely unrelated to porn and I, I like clicked on it and I had this thought, I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. And I clicked on it and up popped a whole bunch of pornographic images. And there was something that happened in that moment in me that I could only describe as like a hook. It was like, um, it was something that made me feel things that I hadn't felt before. It, um, it, was this mixture of like excitement, <laughs> but then also like it doesn't quite feel right. There's something not quite right about that. And so that then began a journey for me of uh, returning to that and returning to that and returning to that to the point where um, for a lot of my teenage years I was I was hooked to to looking at these images on the, the internet. And the longer that that went on, um, the more that that did something inside me. Like it was, it made me feel so much guilt, it made me feel so much shame, it made me want to retreat back, it made me want to hide. I was, uh, I was brought up in an amazing Christian home, like my mum and dad are, are incredible. Um, I'm really, really thankful for the life that I got um, got to be brought up in, the family that I got to be brought up in. And 
uh, I don't know if that like added to the the feeling of guilt and shame. Like I didn't have a, a broken story, like broken home, anything like that. But um, yeah, this thing was just I don't know. It, it did something inside me. And when I was a uh, when I was a bit older. I remember getting to a point where I was like, I've got to talk to someone about this. And at that point, like, I, I found an amazing guy who, who used to come to this church and we would catch up weekly and he was struggling with a similar thing and we would talk about what was going on and uh, we would pray for one another and we had this really um, great relationship where that was happening and it was really healthy. And that led me to a place where, um, like, I broke the habit and for about five years after that, I uh, I was I didn't look at porn, and um, within that time, like some of those other things that happened, like smartphones were invented, um, and so it was it was becoming more and more available. Uh, and when I was uh, twenty, I got married, just before I turned twenty-one, um, to my beautiful wife Marion who we're coming up, I think, 19 years now. 19 years married, yeah. yeah. She is the love of my life. Uh, we moved to Whakatane with the, um, with the dream and the passion to go and plant a, a church, to go and plant a church. It was, it was a dream that God had placed in our hearts. And we moved there, and over a couple of years, um, there was a lot of pressure with that, felt quite isolated. There was um, uh, there's a, a big, long journey there. But I remember getting to a point, and I, I can't remember exactly when this happened, but um, I remember the feelings around it. Uh, I just had this, like, this thought of going, like, I probably didn't even consciously think this, of, of like, this, this emptiness, something missing. And for some reason... A young pastor picks up his phone and decides to try and find some pornography. And it's pretty easy to find. And in that moment, there was something kind of different that happened from the first time. Like there was a lot more, it felt a lot heavier, it felt a lot more serious, it felt a lot more, like there was a lot more at stake. I was now married. I was in a relationship with an amazing woman. Like I said, the love of, like truly the love of my life. And I was pursuing this, um, this amazing God who had called me and gifted me and given me the dream to, to be leading other people. And man, it really, um, it really, really, brought all of that into question all at once. And for some reason, uh, yeah, like a couple of months later, cycle back to the same thing. And you feel the guilt and the shame. And it creates like this, this hole and this emptiness and it causes you to step away and like shrink back and hide away from God thinking that he won't want to talk to you, won't want to speak to you. Like, who are you to be trying to lead a, lead a church? You know, like, those are the sorts of things that I would uh, be thinking to myself. And 
it didn't turn into like a full-blown addiction every day, consuming pornography, anything like that, but it was something that began to cycle and it was every kind of couple of months, every three months, every four months, back to every two months. It was like just this, this loop that I got stuck in and it got to a point where um, I had to do something about it. I couldn't carry it on my own anymore and I was like, I've been in this place before where I needed to confess to someone, but this time it's got to be my wife. And it was the hardest conversation that I've ever had. It brought uh, an incredible amount of pain and pressure and stress on our relationship. Um, it called into question a lot of the things that um, she had uh, thought about herself from you know, the things that she struggles with in terms of identity and, and self-worth and all of those things. For me, it called into, like I was saying before, it called into question the dream that God had put on my heart. Just made me want to flag it all, chuck it all away. Um, but I made that call and I was like, I've got, to, I've got to talk to her about it. I talked to some of my other trusted friends who loved me, who I knew were for me, and who could pray for me. And uh, there started um, a journey of a, of a few years of really um, battling with this. And I want to, um, I just want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you, Firstly, that, um, that God is amazing and that he has power available to bring about incredible freedom and also challenge you, like, you, you may be here and you may be like, um, it's like it's not even that big a deal, you know, like porn's whatever, it's just me and a computer screen or me and my phone, it's not having an effect. Um, I want to challenge you to actually consider whether or not that's actually the truth. Are we doing all right? <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Um, I also want to just talk about some of the things that actually really helped me to push through this, to push past it, to walk through it, to journey it out. Um, one of the things that uh, which was really difficult, and I think where it gets its power, is, is secrecy. Is secrecy. Um, in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, uh, there is a father writing to a son. And he says this in chapter 7, verse 6. He says, At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice, through the curtains. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, 
as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with, a, with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Sounds a lot like porn. This is a picture of uh, a metaphor for a woman, uh, a spiritual force that is seeking to pull us away from the life that God would have us live, to pull us into a warped view of sexuality. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, today I fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came to meet you, I looked for you, and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens. It looks great. Linens from Egypt, it feels good. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. It smells great. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. There's this promise here that the thing, it's designed just for you and it feels good and it looks good and it smells good. Everything about it is good, but it's not. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home until the full moon. What she's saying there is no one's going to know. It doesn't matter. You're not going to be found out. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She, she seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. <clears throat> Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. When we uh, keep things in the dark... When we keep things secret, it, uh, it creates a weight in us that we're not meant to carry. It's too heavy to carry. Um, one of the things that I really want to challenge you with today is that what would it look like to move from secrecy to transparency? To bring things into the light, to step out of the shadows, to step out of the darkness, and to find someone that you trust, someone that cares for you, and fess up, and fess up. Say, you know what, I think I've got a problem. Um, one of the things that I find funny about secrecy is that when it comes to like, God, we think that we can hide from him. So I've got a three-year-old girl. She's awesome. She's crazy. Um, but we play hide and seek. And she'll be like um, standing there and she's like, okay, daddy, I'm going to hide. And she'll be like, you count. 
like, I know how it goes. And so I'm standing here and she's hiding there. We're playing more like look and see rather than hide and seek. And, um, and I count, I'm like, one, two, three, four, five. Ready or not, here I come. And you're like, is she over here? No. Is she over here? No. Oh, there she is. And my little girl's like, yay. <laughs> when it comes to sin, when it comes to hiding stuff from God, it is very similar. It's like somehow we're, we just think that he can't see, that we're doing things in the dark, when in actual fact he's just standing there like going, I see ya. Here I am. It says in Psalm 139, O Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. You know uh, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. In verse 11, surely, uh, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And we, we need to understand that, that God sees us. He sees, he sees the innermost part of our hearts. And the incredible thing is that he still loves us. And he still chose to do what he did, which is lay his life down out of love for us so that we could get rid of all of this junk, trust him, and allow his forgiveness and grace to wash over us and move us towards a life where he's flowing through us. We need to get to a point where we can confess to God, to have a rhythm of confession with him. It's one thing to confess to him. It's another thing to confess to somebody else, though. Um, for me, confessing to my wife, like I said, it, it, was, it was so hard out. Um, hardest thing that we've ever had to walk through. But it was necessary. And then uh, one of the, the things, like it says in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. There's a pathway to health that comes through confessing to one another. We confess to God for the forgiveness of our sins. We confess to others to move us towards health. Um, but it was interesting, like as I, as I started to essentially like detox from pornography and, and uh, have longer breaks in between, what started to happen was like my confession changed. So 2 Timothy 2.22 it says this, it says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. It's interesting that it doesn't say run from youthful lusts. It says run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. So for me, as I, uh, as I started to understand a lot more about and, and think a lot more and pray a lot more, what I noticed is that I'd, what... Um, what once turned me on had soon spiraled down into uh, stuff that I'm not at all proud of. Porn is like this downward spiral. It's the way our, our brain is trained. 
that it promises satisfaction, but the thing that maybe satisfied you one day doesn't satisfy you the next day, and it spirals and it spirals and it spirals, and that, that spiral doesn't, that doesn't stop. Like, that will go as far as you want it to go, as far as... There's a... I'm not going to go there. That's right. Um, now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Just give me one second. That's right. Um, run away from anything that stimulates useful lust. So for me, after a while, I began to like go, man, I don't just kind of like one day arrive and go, oh, I'm going to look at porn. It happens like way, 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 way back here. And so for me, what I watch, what I listen to, the images that I see, the thoughts that I have, the things that I like choose to dwell on, those things all start to accumulate. And what I found is that way, 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 way back here, I would often have this thought of like, that would just shoot into my head that it's like, you're going to look up porn today. And that would be enough for me over the next week or so to like just really struggle with that and battle with that and it'd just be in there. And what I found is confessing that from way back then to the, the people that I trust, to my wife, like going, man, I had this thought. Can you pray for me? Boom. Like the power of it is broken. And so it's, it's trying to find those things that, like, tracking it back and just going, like, man, where is this stuff starting? It's like, it's taking a look at what we're consuming every day. Like, the music videos today, I can't watch them. Like, I haven't, I haven't had Instagram, social media on my phone for um, maybe, like, 10 years now. I can't do it. It's, it's something that I recognised as a as something that stimulated those thoughts and I had to ax it. Jesus, he would say, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Those are extreme measures. It's like, what are you willing to go to? What extreme measures are you willing to go to that would inconvenience you, that may embarrass you, that may look, make you look stupider among your friends, um, what are you willing to go to? What acts are you willing to take to match the seriousness of the consequences of where this could go? That verse goes on and it says, um, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Um, it's interesting in the scripture, uh, in, in Proverbs 7, where you've got this father and he's looking out of the window and he looked down through the lattice and he saw among the simple and he noticed the young men and a youth who had no sense who was hanging out with those young men. And he saw him going down the street near the, the corner near the house of this woman. And uh, there's something about 
the perspective of this person. It was zoomed out. He could see what was happening. And uh, I am thankful for those in my life who were zoomed out enough and further along the journey enough to be able to see where the decisions that I was making would end up. And uh, I would encourage you to ask the question, like, who in your life do you have around you that's calling that out in you? For me, like, I, I had to... I had to keep showing up to these sorts of environments. I had to keep showing up to, to um, like my youth leaders' home. I had to keep showing up to meeting with my friend. Like, I had to keep coming back. The tendency is like, man, you've you've confessed, and then you've gone all right for a while, and then you mess up, and then you're like, flip, I've got to confess again. I should be doing like so much better. I'm such an idiot. And you just want to retreat back again, but keeping on showing up, keeping on showing up, keeping on showing up, keeping on showing up, and surrounding yourself with the right people, like-minded people, people who are further down the track than you, man, it, it changes everything. It changes everything, and it's so, so important. We need to bring things into the light. We need to surround ourselves with the right people. We need to trace back where these things are coming from. We need to confess. We need to keep showing up. There's, um, there's many layers to this. Like We're really complex beings. Um, for me, like as a as an adult, falling back into this, it was a lot different. Like there was a lot more um, there was a lot more stuff going on deeper that kind of led to me falling back into these things, and that took a long time to to unpack. It took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of wrestling with the word like finding a, a different way. 